After multiple delays, Shazam! Fury of the Gods is finally upon us. Bahir and I got to watch the movie at a press screening, and I have to say it is a lot of fun. This is one of the most comic book movies I have seen in a long time. It feels true to the superhero tradition. It's got plenty of heart, just like the first Shazam movie. It's incredibly funny. The chemistry between all of the actors and characters are absolutely fantastic. Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu are great. Rachel Zegler is just divine. It's all good. It's all good. I don't often say this about DCEU movies because they've been so disappointing. But that said, I loved the first Shazam movie. I think the first Shazam movie might be one of my favorites of the DC Expanded Universe, other than, say, yeah. Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad, mind you. not Yeah, not the first one. The follow-up. Yeah, yeah. The follow-up. And this one stays true to that. It follows in its footsteps. It maintains the same tone. And it tells a story that's funny. It isn't, it isn't afraid to go places where the comic book would go. And I think that's what I enjoyed most about it. The last time I had this much fun at a DCEU movie was the first Shazam. You know how the first one was so unexpectedly funny and sweet and heartfelt and all these sort of good things. This one is all that times two, which is great, right? It never sort of devolves into, oh, this is Shazam's follow-up movie. There must be more seriousness. They have to amp up the stakes. Everybody has to be hardcore now because this is DCEU. It does none of that. There's a great opening sequence. Even then, the opening sequence is played for laughs. Yes, it's a wonderful moment of the Shazam family being the Shazam family and doing the superhero thing. But then the ending of that sequence is beautifully hilarious. I think this is the most fun I've had in a superhero movie in a long time. Taking into account the Marvel films. I mean, sure, Phase 4, Phase 5 haven't been great, but this was just a lot of fun. I had probably as much fun in Thor Love and Thunder. I think it'll be close. I think I felt more heart in this one than Thor Love and Thunder. For sure. I think Thor Love and Thunder was a straight-up slapstick comedy. This one was a truly heartfelt superhero movie. And I think that's what I enjoyed most about it. Yeah. We pick up right after the events of the last film. Some time has passed and Shazam or Billy Batson is suffering from imposter syndrome, right? He doesn't know if he deserves the powers that have been bestowed upon him and his family. Mostly just him because the rest of his family seem perfectly content doing their own thing as superheroes. They seem a lot more mm. confident in that skin. Meanwhile, Billy is a little apprehensive. We see a scene with a therapist slash pediatrician. It's in the trailer. Yeah. And he's confessing all of his shortcomings and he's not sure what to make of it. And I think that sets us off on a really good stead because the whole idea of this film and the themes in this movie are surrounding this notion of whether or not you're worthy of being a superhero. It's something none of the other DC superheroes actually have to grapple with. Superman was born with powers. Wonder Woman is a god. Batman doesn't 
worry about that kind of stuff because he's on a mission of vengeance. Yeah. And so it's very interesting to see Billy Batson almost take on the Peter Parker role in that sense of yeah, being yeah, a yeah, character yeah. that is grappling with his real life and his superhero life, which is a nice take and something we don't necessarily see in the DCEU. Heck, we don't even see it in the MCU anymore because the MCU has gotten so big. It has gotten to this multiversal galactic level that the human street level stories are no longer there. And with Shazam! Fury of the Gods, I think it's nice that we got something of an intimate story. Yes, there is citywide battle and destruction and they're fighting against the daughters of Atlas and they're fighting against gods. But at the same time, it feels like a very intimate movie. I also really like that Sandberg sort of expanded the family. It could have very easily been a Shazam 2 where it's just Billy Batson as Shazam doing Shazam things and at the end, the family have to come together reluctantly, blah, blah, blah. But I like that there is an actual sort of squad here. There's an actual family dynamics here. The relationship between all the different siblings come through. The parents come into it a bit more as well. I love that the focus was shifted from Billy Batson to his brother, Freddie Freeman. I thought that was really quite, I don't know about inspired, but it was interesting. It wasn't the easy way out. The easy way out would have been to tell a Billy Batson slash Shazam story with the family sort of side characters. But here, it really feels like they're pulling them all together. And I really, really like that. Which is the direction that a lot of the more recent comics have taken anyway, with, with its focus on the Shazam family or the Marvel family. And you're right. It is very smart to focus on Jack Dylan Grazer, who is a great actor. I mean, we saw him in It, and he was absolutely fantastic in It. But Jack Dylan Grazer, who plays Freddie Freeman, has a real screen presence. And it's ironic because Asher Angel, who plays Billy Batson, has kind of grown up in the intervening years between Shazam and Fury of the Gods. And he doesn't look like the nerdy kid anymore. I mean, he looks yeah. like he's growing up to be a superhero himself. So it wouldn't be as believable to see him get bullied in school. Yeah. And so it's nice that the focus was shifted to Freddy. It's nice that he had an important part to play in the story. And it's also nice that they didn't ignore the rest of the characters too. Yes. And so yeah. you yeah. do have your own little superhero team operating. Also, what I loved about this film, and it's something that doesn't happen enough in superhero movies these days, is that these guys, these superheroes, were saving people. They were fighting crime. They were doing stuff that superheroes do. And I think when we watch the Marvel movies, for example, everything becomes so big, so epic. It becomes about personal vendettas against the hero and the villain. I mean, here you have superheroes saving civilians from a collapsing bridge. And, you know, that kind of old schoolness that really pervades this movie, that really had me going. And I think the funny thing is that with the other superhero movies being so focused on world-ending, apocalyptical aliens and all those things, it, it's a stupid word to use, but it becomes less grounded. Whereas here, they're saving people because a bridge is collapsing. Or in the first Shazam, when Shazam saves the bus as it comes off of a bridge. I see a pattern here. But even at the end of this movie, when the big bad has got 
these minions running around town, they have to stop and save humans. They have to save people, right? It's not just a big bunch up. I like that. It feels a lot more like what you said earlier, that they are just helping regular folks. And that was nice. The movie is, in a word, fun. I'm not sure how much rewrites and reshoots had to be made for it to fit within whatever James Gunn has planned. I will say this, there are two post-credit scenes, so stick around for that. And at least from my read of it, it did feel like those may have been inserted later. Mm. Just because the writing of those scenes feels very James Gunn. And so I'm not sure when those things were included. But that said, this is a very standalone movie. It exists within the Shazam universe of films. I'm not including Black Adam, but just those two films. Because while there are casual mentions of Superman and Batman and Aquaman and Wonder Woman, for the most part, everything you need to know in this film happens in this film. Even the references to the first film, there are enough callbacks so you're not going to miss anything. The Shazam universe feels like the only one that can truly traverse into post-Flashpoint, right? Into the James Gunn, Peter Safran thing because it's so outside of the Snyder DC stuff that it doesn't really need to concern itself with anything. I mean, even the first one, when we saw essentially the torso of Superman, it's still undefined who that Superman is. It could very easily be written in that it was it's whoever becomes the next Superman. You know what I mean? So we're not concerned about it being Cavill or, or the TV Superman or whatever. So I like that. I like that this is its own thing. And I really hope it carries on because I'm really liking the group. Can I also just say, I love the fact that Adam Brody and Ross Butler, who have since become quite famous, don't suddenly have more to do here. It doesn't suddenly become the Adam Brody, Ross Butler movie. It's still the non-superpowered kids show, which is great. In that sense, the movie is a real throwback because it feels very much like the kids' adventure shows we used to watch growing up, whether it was Monster Squad or Goonies or something like that. I think David F. Sandberg really borrows from that Amblin template in making the yeah. superhero film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you have the family dynamic, you have all of the heart, you have all of the fun, almost cartoon-like action. Yes, there are some scenes that are a little dark and violent. There is a scene that takes place on the rooftop of a school that I was not expecting, which felt maybe a little out of step with the tone of the rest of the movie, but I was okay with it. I don't know. I think I think because what happens there happens relatively early in the film, it almost feels like, a, oh, this isn't just a fun, fun movie. This is a movie with stakes. You know what I mean? Like, I was expecting someone to swoop in and save that person, but the way it plays out, you just go, oh, damn, this is serious. The Daughters of Atlas are not fooling around. Yeah, you're right. I guess it does set them up as real villains. Speaking of the Daughters of Atlas, though, Helen Mirren, Lucy Liu, Rachel Zegler are great. They're not the focus of the movie. Like, they don't have as much screen time as everyone else. But they make for compelling villains. 
because I think even their mission ties into the thematic arc of this movie. Because their mission and the way they communicate with Zachary Levi's Billy Batson and Shazam reinforces all of his fears and doubts about himself. And I thought that was very well done. So you have villains that play on the insecurities of the superhero and double down on that. And that works very well in pushing the story forward. You know, for me, the writing of this was very tight as a superhero movie. I think, yes, there were some flabby bits in the middle because the movie does run a little long. It's over yeah. two hours. It's two hours yep. and 10 minutes. But that said, it's something that didn't bother me because I was engaged throughout. I think the action was compelling. The comedy was great. There is just something about the tone of the film that I feel is lacking in a lot of superhero movies that we get today. Actually, you know what it is? You said it after the film. It doesn't take itself too seriously. My, my issue with that statement is that it feels like a shot against this film to say it's not taking itself too seriously. I say that in the best of ways because it doesn't forget that it is an action movie. It's not an allegory for whatever. It's not a commentary on class arguments and blah, blah, blah. No, this is just a fun superhero movie actioner thing. I don't know why you say that, but I think about the Marvel movies and I think about how they've reached that point where the fans have started taking them too seriously. And I think that almost becomes problematic when the audience expectation doesn't line up with what the filmmakers are trying to do. When there's that disconnect of expectation, then it's the beginning of the end, because everyone's going to end up being disappointed. Because I remember reading this interview with the writer of Quantumania and he was genuinely shocked and surprised at the bad reviews because he said, oh, we really thought we did something great. It feels like there is this disconnect between the room where all of this is made and then what audiences are expecting when it hits the screens. Let me put it this way. I think the bar is so low for DC movies that it's not going to suffer those same expectations. It's a fact, though. I think we're always so pleasantly surprised and happy and joyful when we see something like this because we love these characters. We grew up reading these characters. And I think when we see a shitty movie based on these characters, it's incredibly disappointing. And so we're at that stage in the DCEU where the bar is so low that it's going to be very easy to clear. That said, I don't believe Shazam Fury of the Gods only clears the bar. Yes, I, I think it does more than that. I think it is an exceptional movie in its own right. I think it achieves everything that it set out to do. I think it's tonally similar to the first film. I think David F. Sandberg knows these characters and knows the story he wants to tell, and he delivers that. And you can't help but compare this to something like Black Adam, which is the exact opposite. Everything about that movie felt chaotic. The tone felt wrong. The role of the Justice Society was was messy and just didn't make any sense. The character of Black Adam wasn't concrete. Is he an anti-hero? Is he a superhero? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he a MAGA Republican? What is happening, right? Like, none of that was clear with Black Adam. But with Shazam, I think all of these characters just make sense. It is clear who they are. It is clear what their roles are. And so you have a story that just delivers on all fronts. You have a story that sings. 
from start to end, this movie not only knew what he wanted to do or what he wanted to be, but it knew what its characters were doing in that story. And it was beautiful to hear. It's a wonderful orchestra, right? All the pieces were moving perfectly. It's funny observing these movies when they are created in response to criticism. And I say that because if you look at the Marvel movies, you look at the early DC movies, right? And one of the biggest criticisms, of course, was the sheer chaos that was inflicted on the world. So people were complaining about how entire cities were leveled in Man of Steel, for example, and Superman wasn't Superman because he wasn't saving people. As a solution to that, the DC movies and even the Marvel movies took the action outside of the major cities or kept them confined within certain areas. So even in Avengers Infinity War, there was a little bit of chaos in New York City, but they quickly flew that shit into outer space. Yeah. Sure, you can crash Sokovia, a fictional place like a meteor, down into the Earth. But of course, all of your heroes are busy saving the people before that happens. What's interesting about Shazam is... I like that they kept the chaos and destruction to Pennsylvania. I like that all of that stuff was real with real people. It wasn't some fake multiverse. It wasn't some domain of the gods. It wasn't the Amazon. It wasn't Thermoskyra. It was just Philly, Pennsylvania. And then you had this nice balance of, yes, citywide destruction, but also a team of superheroes who are trying their best to save humanity. That, I thought, was a very nicely balanced piece of filmmaking. Also, I like that it wasn't, it wasn't overly dramatic. Even when that battle happens in Philadelphia, it wasn't world-ending. It didn't clear hundreds of blocks with an explosion, right? Yes, it's in the trailer, Shazam fights a dragon. But again, it's not like the dragon goes berserk and levels sort of 100-story buildings, whatever. There isn't a massive overreaction to it. The fighting was not just contained, but the fighting was proportionate to the story that they're trying to tell. The minions thing was great. I loved that. I loved who the minions were. I loved the solution to said minion problem. And all of it... Very smart, very funny. Very funny. But even in its funniness, you go, it wasn't out of tone with the story. More movies like this, please, DC. Yeah, James Gunn, Peter Safran. Here we go. Speaking of which, I don't know how long this can continue. If only because these kids are growing up fast. So the little kids who play the younger versions of the Shazam family look a lot older. I mean, Ian Chen, who plays Eugene, was on Fresh Off the Boat. I completely forgot he was on Fresh Off the Boat because he's so tall in this one and he looks so grown up. Even Grace Fulton, who plays Mary, she now plays the young version and the grown-up version. It used to be Michelle Boss who played the grown-up Mary in the first Shazam movie. Yeah, because for a minute I was like, wait, did she do that for both in the previous one? She doesn't, right? She didn't, right? No, it was yeah. Michelle Boss yeah, in the yeah, first yeah, yeah. film. But Grace Fulton plays the adult version and the younger version in this movie. So yeah, they're all growing up really quickly. I don't know how long this is going to go on for. They're going to have to find some creative solution to the fact that these kids remain kids 
and say Shazam and become superhero. I mean, kids grow up, dude. I think they can always just work that into the story. But you're right. I think the problem is that because of the life cycle of a production, it takes a lot longer for the movies to get made than it might be logical for story time. So what do we have? We have Flash and then Aquaman. Uh, There's supposed to be Blue Beetle in there somewhere. So we've got Flash, Blue Beetle, and Aquaman. It'll be easy to fit Blue Beetle into the James Gunn-verse because obviously being an obscure character, you can tie that into anything new that you're doing. But what's interesting is that Aquaman comes after Flash. So if Flash is a reset, then either they set Aquaman before the events of the Flash because it's looking like Flash might be Flashpoint. So they either set Aquaman before the events of the Flash or they've done some rewrites and reshoots to kind of work that all in. Honestly, I don't think they can set Aquaman to pre-Flashpoint only because I think there was a meeting between WB, DC and Jason Momoa a couple months ago where Jason Momoa sort of leaves the meeting super excited and he has his live stream on. Yeah, but that could be because he's no longer Aquaman but playing Lobo instead, which would be awesome. I agree with you, but the problem is you can't then have Aquaman, Jason Momoa as Aquaman and say, oh no, this was set before Flashpoint and then three years later have a Lobo movie with also Jason Momoa. That's my issue with it, I think. I think he might keep the Aquaman, which I think would be wrong. But I don't know. What do I know? We've got three more DC movies coming out this year, so that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to The Flash, if only because it's so Batman-heavy. Can I just ask? I wanted to ask earlier. Are we sure that Michael Keaton is playing Bruce Wayne and not Thomas Wayne? As far as we know, Michael Keaton is playing Bruce. But you are right if you think about the events of Flashpoint... He could also be playing an older Thomas Wayne. Yes. That would be an interesting twist. I think so too. Also because like the other big change is that it's not Clark Kent, but rather Kara. It's Supergirl as opposed to Superman. And that's fine. I'm okay with that. But I'm just curious if they will also change the Batman character from Thomas Wayne in the comics to Bruce Wayne in the movie. I'm also curious as to how many Batmans they're going to have. We know Affleck's in it. We know Keaton's in it. But also, there is a scene in the trailer of Batman riding the Batbike, which looks very similar to the bike that Christian Bale used in the Nolan movies. But I think it's not. So we don't know if they managed to bring Bale back. I think it's Batfleck, because the more I see it, the more I see that it's got Affleck's tiny cow ears thing. I don't know. I think that's a that's a future podcast episode. You're right. That is a future podcast episode. In the meantime, though, go check out Shazam! Fury of the Gods. It is a fun, fantastic time at the cinema. You will not be disappointed. You will have a great time. Lots of laughs to be had. And you can take the whole family along with you. I think the kids will really like this one. Let us know what you think. Once you've seen it, you know how to reach out. GogglerMY, all of our social media feeds. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler hotline, 012-524-5208. Don't forget, if you message us on any one of those platforms, we will send you an invite to our brand new Discord server where you can speak to us in real time. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Goggler Podcast.